She's sick and she can't get the help she needs. Jail is not the answer. April Barnes, RN, joins us from the next door to talk about being recruited into the detox industry. She talks about sharing the pain, the intimate space, and emotional transition from intoxication. She talks about getting to a place of recovery and of forgiveness to be able to use humor for connection. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Neider. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. The Illuminate Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Illuminate Billing Advocates. Make billing and collection simple with leader in substance abuse and mental health billing services. Verification and analysis of benefits, pre-authorizations, utilization management, accurate claim submission and management, denial and appeal management, and industry-leading reporting. Improve your practice's cash flow and your ability to help your clients with Illuminate Billing Advocates. Uh, Kurt and I have the privilege and honor of talking with April Barnes today. Um, April is the Director of Outreach and Business Development at The Next Door, Inc. Um, she is a registered nurse with 13 years of patient-centered and compassionate medical and behavioral health experience. April started as a detox nurse at The Next Door, Inc. in June of 2016 and has since transitioned to her current role of cultivating relationships in the community to help women access a full continuum of treatment services. April has a heart for women's health and a passion for working with clients battling the disease of addiction. April, thank you for being on with us today. Super excited to have a conversation with you. Hi, Shelley. Hi, Kurt. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. So good to be here. Well, I, I know this is going to be a fun conversation because we've been, you know, we've been chit-chatting a little bit prior to recording and, um, and you've got, you know, you've got quite a story. Maybe just start with that a little bit of, you know, maybe a little more history of how you ended up in nursing and where you come from and then how you end up in substance abuse. Because I know I tried to avoid it, but it like called out my name and it, I'm suspecting there's some similarities for you. Right, right. It, it calls you and it, it doesn't let go sometimes for sure. Um, yeah, so my professional history, I had always worked as a nurse in different uh, various medical facilities, um, you know, Vanderbilt and just different hospitals. And, and um, store, I, I had already accepted a position at a local hospital close to where I live, just a few minutes down the road um, in the ICU, and I had seen this job posting um, for a, a detox um, nurse PRN, and I thought, you know, that's pretty appealing, right? Like, I um, I wanted something very noncommittal, and um, so I decided I'm just going to go in for the interview, just see what happens. Again, had already 
accepted another offer at a closer facility, you know, just a few minutes down the road. And as soon as I walked in, um, I met the director of nursing who's still here. She's still our director of nursing. Um, and I ended up like saying yes, like right then I was like, okay, yes, this is where I need to be. This is where I belong. Um, and started just doing like bedside care, um, taking care of females that were acutely, um, going through the detox process, just fell in love with that. Um, it's just such an intimate space to be beside someone when they're, um, experiencing not just the physical pain of withdrawal, but all everything that comes with it emotionally and, um, just being able to sit with them. Like it's just so fragile. So, um, I continued my time, um, as a detox nurse and, um, recognized, um, having worked in some other, um, facilities that we didn't have an admissions nurse. So I thought, you know, like, I'm just going to kind of throw that idea out there. Um, and they said, well, that's great. Why don't you do it? And I was like, oh, I didn't mean like for me, I mean like somebody else can do it. <laughs> um, but so I then said, okay, I'll do it for like 90 days. We can get somebody trained and well, you know, and I ended up just staying in that role and loving it and loving the ability to do an assessment on like every client that was coming through the doors at that time. I mean, it was just such an opportunity. You, you talk about a, a fragile space is when someone's like made the decision of like, I'm going to come into treatment. Um, and half the battle that we see is just getting someone to the door. And so um, in my time as admissions nurse, um, I recognized that we had a lot of females coming in were reporting, you know, I went to, you know, two ERs this week or three ERs the, this last week trying to get help. Um, sometimes even pregnant, you know, just different things that um, all I heard was barrier after barrier after barrier for, for people in the community, women in the community trying to get treatment. Um, and so um, we, you know, we needed someone in this role time um, and having with women in that setting and hearing some of those barriers um, when I moved into this role, that was really my focus was OB offices, like educating people about, um, you know, the resources that we were able to provide. Um, and it turns out because of our history and just being known for um, what we, um, we were founded and we started as a reentry program for women leaving incarceration, we just weren't known yet for the, the more acute services, like the detox level of care, the residential level of care. Um, so it, it just took some time and some education in the community for, for those outlying hospitals and facilities to learn about um, these new resources that we had and this new way that we could be um, of service to the community. And, um, you know, I think I'd been working here maybe six months. I can't remember the timeline. I just remember I was working here and driving home one day and I was talking to my mom and I was, she said, yeah, how was your day at work? And I told her where I was working and talked a little bit more in detail about work. And she asked me, um, how do you, um, or is Linda and Cindy still there? And at the time, Linda was our CEO who was also founding, you know, um, one of our founding executive leadership. 
And then Cindy was my boss, our chief clinical officer. And I was like, how do you know Linda and Cindy? Like, it was just so odd to me that my mom, like, you know, I said, how do you know them? And she said, oh, April Dawn, that's the, that's the same program I went to when I got sober, um, you know, back in 2006. And it was just such a God moment for me in that time, sitting there and that like, I remember thinking, oh my goodness. And even I didn't recognize that I was working for the same program because we'd evolved because we were in a different building, the very same program that restored the relationship that me and my mom have today. It was exactly what, um, you know, the therapy that she got, um, the life skills, her being able to get a job out of, you know, after several years of being in the women's prison, it was her second chance at life. It was her next door, you know, (laughs) like that's what it was founded to do. And so I just, I just knew in that moment, oh my goodness, this is why I was led here. Like, this is such a God wink for me. And, um, and I've been here ever since (laughs) I've been here now five years, (laughs) you know, it's like DNA. It's like my blood, you know? So, um, so that's, that's a little history on, um, how I got here and why it's just so important to me and why I love it at the next door. That story is crazy. They they know they can take advantage of you all they want. You're never going anywhere, are you? <laughs> they know it's in my blood, you know? It's DNA. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. There, goes your, there goes your next few pay raises. They got you. <laughs> No, that's an awesome, that's an awesome story. And I think it's, it's interesting too, because, um, so one of the things that we've talked about with a few other people is in, in recovery and in this process of, of kind of getting through, you know, substance abuse and working through, um, addictions and all that kind of stuff, there's obviously all of these stigmas, right? And so we've talked to a few people recently about how it'll be interesting to see if there's this kind of generational shift around that a little bit as Mm -hmm. people get the help that they need as our kind of cultural emotional intelligence grows right if it'll be interesting to see if the younger generation kind of has a little bit greater acceptance for rehab Mm -hmm. right or for recovery and then there's this combination of of you know, people tend to be more successful if the family can get involved, right? And the family gets educated and they learn some of those same tools. And so it's amazing to hear, um, and I don't know, maybe you have a, a recovery story too, but it's amazing to hear, you know, that, that you come in and you've had a parent who went through this process. And, and I'm sure it's just the connection that, you know, like you said, it's a different building, um, and not necessarily disconnecting her recovery from where you're working, but just not necessarily connecting the dots. But mm-hmm. but interesting to then to then think like, okay, I, w- I would love to know how you were, how involved you were in that process. You know, you mentioned she had been to women's prison, right? So maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know what that relationship was like. Maybe you guys were completely separated and you didn't know her at all or, or you know, I don't know what that was like, but it'd be curious when she went through her kind of recovery steps, right? What was your involvement there? Did you see that very often? You know, was that kind of before you two were reconnected? And, you know, obviously I think now it's easy to see the the, the fruits of 
what came through this facility that you work for, but what was that process for, like for you as a child, you know? Yeah. So, um, when she went through the next door, I was very involved. Um, she, you know, the way that it was structured at the time was, um, you know, she was, once she went through a certain like phase or level of um, treatment, um, she could then start having um, like home visits and weekend visits. And, um, you know, the relationship really started to heal. Um, but then I also became extremely codependent. So very, very, um, and this is after she had left the next door, um, and that's where the start of like my recovery journey began of, of looking at um, what was healthy and what wasn't. Um, but in terms of watching her grow while she was in the program, um, I, I remember, you know, so one of the great things and what's beautiful about um, the reentry program, not just at the next door, but the reentry model in itself, is that it is structured and designed. Um, to really give women support that they need for recovery instead of let's incarcerate. Um, things this, without any support. Survival. And where do you end up? You're right back in jail. So it's the goal is to reduce recidivism rates, which it does. I mean, the evidence is there. It absolutely does um, because it gives women support um, and, and really, um, goes against this idea that we're going to just arrest our way out of, of, you know, addiction crisis. Right. Um, and so, but growing up, um, you know, I knew that I had a mom that struggled with addiction and there were very, um, you know, if she like, she was in and out of jail, so it just would depend on if she were incarcerated or not, if I could see her. Um, but even like when she was in jail, um, you know, depending on if I could receive a letter or not, I just knew I have a mother that's really struggling with something that seems to have complete control over her life. And because of that, right? So like, <laughs> I knew as a kid, like, like, oh my goodness, like she's just going to be in jail the rest of her life. So when she went into the reentry program and she, for the first time ever, was offered a different alternative, um, it, that that's when she began to heal. And that's when recovery, I remember going and picking everyone up, uh, everyone up and us all having like a cookout. And it was like the start of this, like establishing a relationship with our mom that none of us were able to have. And with a mother that was able to be present and to, um, you know, not have to live in the shame of her past, right? And that's that's really, to this day, I mean, me and my mom, you know, we joke about, like, <laughs> she's really involved in my life now. And we're at this place of, like, where we've worked through so many things that, like, I can say to her, I can joke about the fact that, like, we didn't grow up. Like, she didn't raise me, and that's okay, right? Like, we, I love her, and we're involved now, and our relationship just looks very different than a lot of my friends and their moms, and that's okay. But she'll say stuff like, you know, you know, April Dawn, you got to get those spider webs off those bushes. It's going to kill them or something, and she'll, like, you know, say something to me as an adult. 
and I'll be like, Mama, you act like you raised me better. You know, you didn't raise me, you know, and we'll joke like that, you know, and just have this like light. Cause I think that's what I, I just wanted things when I became really codependent, I wanted things to be normal. And I wanted things to just be like, like all put together. And I still struggle with that today of like, my life just needs to appear put together. And I just, I don't want people to know. And I'm really trying to work on that in my own recovery journey of like, it's okay that like my, you know, relationship with this person or with, you know, with my family or that my history looks totally different than yours or yours. That's okay. Like we're all human and we, we have flaws and we're imperfect. And that, that comparison of like, well, we're just gotta, we gotta get it together. We gotta all be, you know, this happy family that actually created more dysfunction for all of us. Um, not talking about it and trying to sweep everything under the rug was not helpful. So a lot of lessons learned throughout the years about like just speaking truth and calling it for what it is and having some hard conversations that lead to healing. And, and that's, that's where we're at today. So, and it feels it's a much healthier space for sure. So. I think that's like one of the base, base misunderstandings of a lot of people that end up in addiction though. Right. Cause I think it's a base misunderstanding for any human. Cause there's no such thing as normal. Like nobody's got an easy shot, right? Like nobody just, nobody gets together with their family every night for dinner, you know, six nights a week because that's just what happens in their family, right? Like everybody has their failures. Everybody has their things they're working on. And I, and I think it's this kind of, it's great that you guys laugh about the, the lack of parenting <laughs> thing, right? Because to me, I think that's evidence of the level of healing, right? The level of understanding of like, this isn't backhanded, you know, we're, it's not, we're not cutting each other with these remarks. It's our story. We own it, right? We don't necessarily need to broadcast it to the world, but we're going to own our story. We can't change the past. Yeah. Let's have a good time moving forward, you know, and accept each other for who we are. And I think that I doubt that's probably, I don't maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not the clinician here on the call. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm the guy who asks the stupid questions, but you know, I don't know if there's in the stages of, you know, trauma recovery, if there's a humor stage at some point, if we're like, once you hit that, you know, you've accomplished, you know, stages one through nine, but there should be right. Because I, to me, I think that's evidence of so much healing. Yeah. And, and that's part of like, and I'd love to hear Shelly's feedback on that. Cause that, I mean, that's part of what, like a lot of 12 step recovery is, is like, don't take yourself too seriously, you know, have fun. And, and so, um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Shelly, is it healthy? I you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, as we know, people can use humor as deflection, which many of us do. I think Kurt's uh, suggested that that might be one of his, um, you know, go-tos for, for deflection is to use humor. But I think it goes both ways. When you can feel, you know, when you're not emotionally charged <clears throat> about your history and your stories and the stuff that goes on in your relationships, that to me says healing. And I'll tell you what, I'm the first one when my kids are, when they were little and they were fighting, I'm the first one to go, how can we find some humor in this? Like, how do we distract them with some humor so that we can all be light and stop doing whatever they're doing, right? Um, so I think humor is super healthy and I think we do not laugh enough. We're, we're way too serious, right? Way too serious. 
But I love that. And I, and I would totally concur with what Kurt has said is I'm listening to you tell your story. And I'm like, now there's a woman who has done her work and someone who has done some recovery with her mom and with her family. Cause I'm looking at you and thinking about you as a teenager going, man, I'd have some anger. Now I was an angry, angry teenager and I would have been angry and I would have been, you know, done some things that I probably shouldn't have done out of frustration. And, 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 and most kids don't even know that there's another life out there, right? Because that's all they've known. So I'm curious what that was like as a young person trying to manage, um, you know, your relationships with your mom. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were times, um, you know, I look back as, as an adult, I see it very differently, right? The story I told myself then is very different than what I can recognize as truth now. And again, that's, that's just recovery, um, and, and doing, um, work with a therapist and doing, um, working my own, you know, 12 step recovery. There's just a lot of, um, and, and I'm still working on it to, I look that I had that, that were just fundamental beliefs within me, um, and, what's truth and what's not. And I know that, um, one of the things I could look back on is I lived in a home that now I recognize they were so good to me and they just wanted to love me and protect me. Um, but at the time I thought that the boundary that they put up with my mother, um, wasn't fair and that they just were trying to keep me from her. And I just couldn't see that. And so there was anger, um, because I've always had this, um, like just compassion for my mom of like, of, of just recognizing like, and I didn't really understand maybe that it was addiction that was enslaving her and that I just was like, she's sick and she can't get the help she needs. Like jail's not the answer. Um, and so there was, there was definitely anger. Um, and I, and I definitely went through, um, you know, periods of, um, you know, depending on one of the things that's interesting is depending on the foster home that I was in and its structure and stability, um, I look back and, and I'm like, okay, you lived in this home and you really acted out in this way, right? So experimenting with drugs and alcohol and um, just really, really um, like dangerously rebellion, like rebellious spirit, right? Skipping school and, but then like go to this home and where there was structure and um, and then I didn't, you know, I did, I, there would be periods where I didn't do drugs or, um, drink alcohol, but then now I moved here and I'm taking, you know, vodka and orange juice and a cup to the library. I mean, just, I look back, I've, you know, I've obviously, um, looked at my patterns as well. And, um, even a progression of drinking for myself, um, and, and recognize like, there, there are so many patterns and so many periods where, um, you know, there was a lot of pain going on and, and there was anger. Um, but I, I, I would deal with it differently. And what was interesting is that different places and different environments, um, it, and I think it goes back to exposure, right? Like what I was exposed to, what was normal in the home. Cause if, every kid in the home was, you know, drinking and smoking weed and all that, then I was doing it. But then if I went to a home where that wasn't normal and we were going to church, I was going to church. So it's just, it's interesting that, um, 
that's one of the patterns I've been able to identify as well is um, that um, ex- almost exposure, nature versus nurture, like all of those types of things as well that I've seen in my life. Yeah. Wow. Interesting that, that you can look back on that and, and look at these different environments that were provided for you and that you took part in. Um, and, and look at those and go, you know, I can take the good from this one and, you know, see where this one might have not have been healthy. Um, I'm curious, how many different homes were you in? Because to me, there's trauma all over the place as you're talking about this. But you stand, you sit here as a pretty, pretty put together person. But I'm hearing trauma screaming all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a great therapist to work, you know, to, to thank, uh, to thank uh, her for that, who I work with weekly. Um, yeah, I, you know, I can't recall um, the exact amount. I, I did go to three different high schools. So just in high school alone, I moved to several different counties. Um, and, oh, goodness. It, I mean, it's really hard to, to even try to, um, because, in, in foster care, at least at the time, um, you could go to one home and it could be what, what was called then a temporary setting, like a temporary home. So you, you go live at this home and you know, okay, I'm going to be here maybe a few days, maybe a month, maybe a couple months until they find me a permanent placement. And in the way that that worked, oftentimes, and I have so many memories of this, is how I would know that is, I'm getting picked up by my social worker with all of my things. I'm still really triggered by black trash bags. Okay. I'll be honest. Like, I'm going to share a little transparency here. Okay. We don't get black trash bags in my house. Um, because that to me was a sign, like all of my belongings were brought in everything I owned in a black trash bag. And then I would know, okay, I'm going to be at a different home tonight, a different school tomorrow. I don't get a chance to say bye to my friends or my teacher and I just like, that was so out of my control and that happened so much that, um, you know, I just, I just adapted. I just showed up wherever and, you know, I would, I remember sitting in the DCS office sometimes for hours waiting to be able to go to my next home and all of my things and just wondering like, I wonder what county I'm going to go to. I wonder what school I'm going to go to. And, you know, there was definitely pain. Um, and you know, that, but it was just so out of my control that, um, you know, I think I look back and I'm like, I remember a pretty happy child, you know, because I loved school for school for me was an escape. It was a safe place. It was a constant. It was like, okay, even though it's different, like there's structure here and I love to learn. I always love to learn. Um, I love to read. And so for me, like, as long as I'm going to school, like that's okay. And so, um, but there were definitely, there's definitely, you know, trauma, only abuse in various forms and um, homes that were closed down because of different types of abuse. And so, I mean, that's definitely all in my childhood as well. And again, I have a great, great therapist who works um, with me on all of that. And because for a long time, it's something I didn't want to look at and I tucked it away And I tell you, um, when I started doing work and I wasn't in a healthy place, that is when it's like Pandora's box opened and everything came pouring out and my life became so unmanageable. 
Um, and so that's when I started, you know, um, what I used to be like a social drinker or just like could take it or leave it. Um, I didn't realize you don't go doing, you know, work, um, trauma work and, and codependency and ACA and all of that work. Um, if you're don't really have healthy coping, because for me, that led to a progression of alcoholism. And that's why to this day, I don't drink. Um, I went to treatment five years ago. And, um, and it was all what led up to that was trying to do, um, you know, extremely codependent around, you know, some relationships with my mom and some other family members and a sister and trauma work. But I was not I mean, it was just Pandora's box opened. And so, yeah, <laughs> to answer your, your question or, or that, you know, hmm, thought about his trauma in there for sure. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Like all over the place, <laughs> all over the place, which it just makes the story more incredible. And I love that you're willing to share it with us because I know this is, I mean, it can be really personal and you know, there's can still brings up stuff, right? We still, I'm sure you still got stuff. I still got plenty of my own stuff, right? And I didn't, yeah. I didn't experience some of that. But my head goes to attachment. Certainly, your therapist is working with you on attachment pieces, because I mean, you were you were put in so many different places without a permanent caregiver for so long. Right, right. We're de- we're we're definitely working on attachment, healthy attachment, um, even parts therapy, like even Mm. some of that, um, and, and recognizing, you know, like deep, deep compartmentalization skills that I, you know, established as a child that I was like, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. You know, and that's, that's what I was saying earlier about, like, I still have to work on, um, being okay with like being human and with being like that, not everything is put together. And, that that's okay. And that I'll never be perfect. And this is just this process, this beautiful mess of a process of healing. And I think what's that's healthy in, in this role with women recovery with my mom. Um, because it's shown me for, for years, I look back and that was not healthy trying to just keep all this right here like everything's okay, everything's put together. It just was not healthy. It was killing me inside. So, well, yeah. and I bet as you work with these women that that you can see that pretty clearly when someone is putting on that front, yeah, I'm good or I'm tough and I don't need your help and whatever and and I would think that you could cut through that pretty well just because of your experiences and your relatability is would be incredible. So, I was going to ask you, you know, how you transitioned from being an RN to an outreach and business development, but you kind of answered that question. <laughs> it's just because you, you, you know, you love them and you've got so much relatability. It's incredible. Yeah, and and I'm working for an organization and a mission and a program that, to me, I, I mean, it gave me a relationship with my mom. You know, it gave me a second chance at life with her and has given me so much in being here. Um, it is, it's a, it's a mission really. It's, it's bigger than, you know, um, because to be honest, if I'd, you know, if I did not do like business development or outreach, um, here at the next door, I, 
I, I wouldn't just go do it for another company or another, another organization. I do this role because I love the next door. Um, because I thought about that. Like if something were to happen, you know, um, I would go back into nursing cause I love nursing. I love, you know, caregiving and that bedside care. Um, but I just feel like I'm right where I need to be. And, and this place is very special to me for a lot of reasons. And, um, specifically being able to, to help women that are choosing, like making that choice and, and stepping into recovery. Cause again, like I said earlier, just half the battle we see is just getting someone to the door, just getting them here. So mm, yeah. definitely is. Um, you talked about God moments, you know, this, this God moment that you ended up at the next door and then find out later that this is where your mom got her recovery. Um, how, I guess it makes me want to ask the question of spirituality. What role does spirituality play for you and for the women that you work with? Oh yeah, that's huge. So, um, the next door in itself is, um, was founded on faith, like in, in its mission of Christ-centered compassionate care, meaning, and what I love about this, because I personally, I'm a woman of Christian faith and I, um, I love the approach that it is about relationship and not religion. It's about relationship with your higher power, with, with the God that, that you, um, that you connect well, um, safe with. And because what we see are women from all different walks of life that maybe they have had some, some abuse in, in a religious setting, or, um, you know, they have seen, there, there's just so many, there are so many different stories and, and everyone arrives at this point of, I feel like a, a spiritual surrender in a different way. And for me, um, one of the things that led me to treatment, like I said, over five years ago was the, the fact it wasn't that, I mean, on the outside looking in my life didn't look unmanageable. It was that I felt so spiritually cut off. I, I could not connect with God. I felt so empty and so dark um, and hopeless inside to the point um, for the first time ever, I was at a point of like suicidal thoughts and that level of hopelessness. And that is such a scary, dark place to be. Um, and the one thing that I always had that I can't, you know, I can't pinpoint because people have asked me, well, where, where were you, where did that like come from this like faith or, you know, um, and I don't even remember where I got this little Bible, but one of the things that I had as a child growing up was this little bitty, like pocket sized New Testament Bible. And I um, remember after one specific like trauma event that happened, running to my room, finding my little bitty Bible um, that was just New Testament and looking for red letters because I knew the letters that are in red are the letters of Jesus, right? So didn't know what I was reading. I just was always comforted by that. And to this day, like right now on my desk, I have this little rock that's, that's, um, that's in Mark 534. And it's Jesus saying um, to this woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So for me, the, the compassion of Jesus, which is what we get to show here, just the, the, the fact that we love them with that, that type of compassion 
and welcome them no matter where they're at. That's, that is the mission of the next door. That's the ministry of the next door. And that's how it was founded. Um, which is just another reason of why I love working here because it's not, a, again, it's not about like, we're going to, you know, throw a Bible at you and tell you you're a sinner and all of those things or try to, you know, pray, you know, the addiction away. We're going to give you some clinical support um, to help, you know, give you some coping skills and unpack some of this trauma and help you understand the way that it's affected your, your, you know, um, behaviors and, and all of this, but we're also going to just love you, just love you with the compassion that Jesus showed every person. That is the mission. And so that's, that's what it means to be like faith-based for the next out that love. But for me personally, that is what led me. That was my like bottom was I can't connect. I feel so spiritually broken that, um, I just, and I remember like laying in treatment one night and I felt light again. I was like, oh my God, there's light inside of me. Like, which for me is hope. Like, okay, things are going to get better. Oh, I can pray. I can connect. I can like tap into that again. And because that was such a scary place when that was gone. So does that answer? Yeah, (laughs) that that answers my question. Um, it answers my question very nicely. I, I'm wondering though, because it sounds like your your dad, your biological father, really wasn't in the picture much for for your growing up. I'm making that assumption. And a lot of times when women have experienced abuse by men or their father figures, that looking at at God and trying to have a relationship with God is really really difficult because those two kind of go in the same place. And if you know, if this man that was supposed to protect me and take care of me couldn't do it and hurt me, how am I supposed to trust another man? Do you see that kind of dynamic going on? Um, well, and you're right. So I did I did not know my father. My father actually died of a drug overdose when I was two. And so I grew up, um, you know, not knowing him, but but knowing that, you know, that was the truth, right? He, he, died, he died of a drug overdose. Um, And so, um, you know, I know that I really did cling to my grandfather when I was finally able to have a relationship with him. I loved, I mean, to me, he hung the moon. And what's interesting is that that was not the experience that my mom had. So my, my grandfather had, um, was sober by the time I was an adult. Um, and by the time, or even by the time I was a child, but when my mother was a child, he was an abusive alcoholic. That was the truth. And so she did not know him um, and didn't see him in the same light. And so it's interesting because um, in my eyes, though, like that was the only, you know, kind of consistent father figure. And even that was not very consistent. Um, I don't know where, I mean, I don't know where the... Um, I just found comfort in the idea of belonging to something divine that, that had me, that could hold me. And, um, and I still do to this day of like, now I struggle with surrender (laughs) and will and wanting to do things my own way still to this day. But I would imagine, I mean, I would imagine that's what like a daughter and a father's relation, you know, it's like, I know it's best for you, and I'm no, I just like let me handle. Um, so I said that because I, I definitely 
you know, I try to pray, God, like, lead God and direct my life. Like, you know what's best for me when I can't see it. But then I'm like, but let me do all this over here. Like, I'm not going to give you complete control. So well, I think yeah. that's true of most of us. But it's like, don't tell me what to do. Just just don't tell me what to do. Like, I got to figure this out and do it the hard way first. Right. <laughs> right, right. I got this. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm also going to make an assumption that you have a family of your own now. Mm-hmm. Um, so your recovery, how has that impacted your family now and the relationship that you have now and the focus and what you pay attention to when you're, you know, as a mom and, and a wife? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's so different. I, I tell you when I, a lot of, I didn't know, I didn't really know that I had anger really that was not worked through or that hadn't been resolved with my parents until I had my first child like almost 11 years ago. And I remember holding him and just thinking like, how could anyone ever choose like to not like for this not to be priority. And, and so I had a lot of anger come up and I'm like that I just had not felt. And it was around you know, my mom and my dad and just not understanding because I I had such an immediate love for my son. And I was like, I would die for him. I can't imagine like putting him in certain situations or this or that and him not being priority. Um, But then what helped me the most was getting, getting to, to understand and listen to my mom her upbringing, her history, her experiences, her trauma, what she was going through around the time that she conceived me, she and my father, where they were at in their addiction. It was just like, like it, it restored that compassion that for a little while I I just lost. I just was so angry. And, and then I tell you nothing (laughs) makes, at least for my experiences, when you need to be extended grace, in a way that, I mean, you're so more like for me, I can more freely give it today because I've now needed it because I have, I really, really hurt my family um, when I went through my struggles as well. So it's, um, I think those two things um, are what immediately come to mind is that, that initial feeling of um, recognizing I've got some anger that I need to talk through, I need to work through, I need to talk to my mom about it, just need to have a conversation again, not shaming or, but it was, I need to understand what was happening, like what was going on and, and learning a lot of her and dad and not justify some of the things, but to come to an understanding where I could like meet with compassion. And the other piece too of, again, just going through my own struggle and seeing that's how that happens, right? You're, you're, you're not in control anymore and, and you're in so much pain. And if you don't do the work to, to heal that, you can't be the mom who's present at home at night, cooking the dinners and reading the books and doing the bath time and the bedtime. And so now it, it I'm very, um, I'm in a new season of life and my kids are very much a priority, um, outside of work, what I try to do in establishing boundaries. Like I'm kind of an all or nothing person. (laughs) And I tried to like regulate, like even social media, like Instagram and Facebook, I had to delete it. So I was like, 
I can't regulate it. It's just a distraction. I can't be present with my kids. So I kind of evaluated those types of things of like, how can I show up and be more attuned to what they need when they're trying to connect with me? Um, because yeah, I don't, I don't want there to be like, you know, and again, this is where I have to do the work of like, try not to control but I always am like, I don't want to, I don't want them to be in therapy because of me. <laughs> well, they might be, <laughs> they still might be <laughs> and that's okay. But, um, I'm trying. And what I, what I think that I, I can see now is that, um, my mom was trying and she was doing the best. She was just in a really, really hard place. She and my dad both were and weren't, weren't able to give what I was, what I needed. So, hmm. What an incredible story, April. I heard you I heard you say something that I think is super powerful and I, I just want to reflect on it for a second. And and I think for me it was a pivotal moment too, when I recognized that I was hurting people and that I had messed up and sometimes I didn't even know that I had hurt somebody. And I'm like, Well, if that's the case and I and I want to get forgiven I better get really good at forgiving other people because that's the only thing I control. I can't always control some of this stuff that that I do and don't even realize that I've hurt somebody. Right. And so, but you talked about that piece of recognizing, you know, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. Relationships are hard and they take a lot of work, but boy, I'm going to give you kudos. You, uh, you are doing your work and, and your therapist has got to be incredible because she, you know, (laughs) you guys have, you guys are making some good progress. I'm just like, I'm kind of, I'm in awe of just listening to you and going, oh my heck, look at what she's done. It's incredible. <laughs> like you're doing your work and it and it's going to change people for generations, right? It's generational. And, and how cool is that? Like you have a lot to be grateful for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She, she is great. She's amazing. Shout out to my therapist. I'll ever, <laughs> you don't have one, need one, get one. <laughs> uh, agreed. Right. Agreed. I think, I think the shout out to your therapist is, is also the shout out to therapy in general. Cause you said, you know, as a mom, your goal is for them to not need therapy. Right. And it's one of the analogies that we use a lot on this podcast is that that therapist is like your personal trainer at the gym, right? There's no stigma for having a personal trainer at the gym. And it's kind of like saying, well, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise so well that when my kids are older, they don't need to exercise. <laughs> right. I love you that. Know? Like it's just, that's it's just, good, a healthy, yeah. it's a, it's a healthy place to be and it's money well spent. So that's, that's, they're going to have their own issues and they're just going to pick different ones than the ones you had growing up. And it's part, <laughs> it's part of the way it goes. Yeah. Um, I know. I told my kids, I said, look, I'm probably not going to pay for your education, but I will pay for your therapy because I know I screwed you up. So, you know, just know I'm here to support you. <laughs> it, might, it might be more expensive. I know, but, but at least, you know, it'll get them on the right path and I'll feel better about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely the, the best investment for my, like financially and just for my own, like self-care and healing. Um, that it's just very important to me that it's a non-negotiable now. It's just like, that is, you know, this is the, the foundation of like, of my healing is it's not just, you know, my therapist, but you know, all of the other, the, the coping skills she gives me and the suggestions she gives me and, you know, the work that I continue to do, um, you know, with my own spirituality, with my 12 step recovery, like, all of that together, those are just non-negotiables that um, help me be a better mom, that help me be more present. So, Yeah. 
Very cool. cool. Very, very incredible story. I love, I love it. We could talk for hours and hours and we might have to offline, you know, cause, cause <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm just, my whole heart feels warm just listening to all the work that you've done and how incredible it is and how it's changed your life and the life of your family. So pretty cool. Um, I imagine that there is going to be a lot of people that are going to want to talk to you and call you and maybe get into treatment, but definitely learn more about your story and what's going on. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, so I have uh, my cell phone, um, which a lot of people just contact me on. Um, it's 615-414-0741 or email me. Um, you can email me april.barnes at thenextdoor.org. Um, and then if anybody's interested just in general information about like the program, um, they can go to our website, which is, um, the So it's got information about the services we provide and continue um, here. And then some stories of hope on there as well. We have social media like LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, we have all those socials as well. So, well, yeah. and, and and maybe we'll just leave by by you know I worked in a halfway house with the women coming out of prison, and if there's a place there, and I would say homelessness, which kind of you know they parallel a little bit. There's such a need for um, to support women, and so I, I love that Nextdoor is doing that, um, and that you've got a program that's working because there are so many barriers to coming from you know, this kind of being institutionalized, some of them for almost their entire lives to trying to figure out how to make it, you know, in, in this culture that we have outside of that. And so, um, lots of work to be done there. So I love, I love the work that you guys are doing. It's super needed. So thank you. Thanks for being on today. Yeah. Thanks Shelly. Thanks Kurt for having me. It's been a fun hour with you guys. It has, it's been fantastic. I I would say I've been filled. Thank you. (laughs) This is our therapist's hour for therapists. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta have a place where you unload. You, you get your time in, but a lot of the people that we have on, I don't think get that time. So I think a lot of them feel, feel the roles reversed a little bit. It's the chance for them to sit in the chair and lighten the load. So thanks okay. for coming on.